Welcome to this episode of In Conversation. I'm David Gavigan. I'm Kate McGowan. <laughs> and today we're with uh, Mark Astor and Brian O'Neill, director of the film How to Be Happy. Lads, how are you? How are you? Very well. Nice bad, yeah? Thanks for having us. Yeah, no problem. Um, so tell us a bit about yourself, lads. Where are you from? Mark, you can start. <laughs> um, uh, where am I from? I'm from Dublin. Uh, I've worked in multimedia for years. Uh, decided a number of years ago to try to move into film and um, particularly animation at the time the Celtic Tiger died so uh, that got put on pause for a little while and uh, for the last three years I've been writing and directing and uh, making films and yeah. where are you from originally? oh no Dublin born bred yeah 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 and I'm uh, this Brian here um, I'm also from Dublin I've been making short films pretty much since I left school which is longer ago than I'd like to admit. Um, and I've worked professionally in the industry as, a, as an editor on a lot of TV for RTE and stuff like that, usually kind of reality TV and, stu- and things like that. So my background, I've got a good technical background that's helped with the filmmaking. And uh, about was it three years ago, the Masters, we, well, both of us, we didn't know each other at the time, but we both ended up deciding to do this Masters in film base. And that's where we met and that's where we made How to Be Happy. Um, how did you come to the decision to go write the MSc in film That's what I wanted to do. Um, I, I actually had edited something for Chris Brennan, who had done the Masters year before, okay. and he had actually directed one of the fe- the, the, fe- the feature that he did the, the, that year, which was Keys to the City. And um, he told me he was telling me about this when I was editing for him, and I was like, a course that made a feature film, and I was like. I, I need to do that, yeah. <laughs> and that was it. Was as simple as that. I was like, I need to. That's what I want to do, and I did it. So, I, were you trying to make the transition from short films to features, and this seemed to? Yeah, exactly. It just just to open that the door to that world somehow. So, yeah, okay. yeah, it was remarkably similar. Quickly came to the conclusion that you needed a good, strong credit on a feature to get into the room with people, to get them to take you seriously, to let them to give you money to make other films, so it was a fantastic opportunity. And, and had you been trying to do that previous um, Yes, I, I hadn't been trying that long because it became quickly evident that unless you had some feature under your belt, like it, 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 it really gets you up like a couple of rungs of the ladder at the start. Mm-hmm. It was really, really very, very useful in that respect and has actually been useful, yeah. like a marked change in dealing with people. You know, so. And your your father and brother are involved in filmmaking. Uh, to a certain extent, yeah, we, we kind of we're kind of an odd bunch. Um, we were all somehow involved in the music industry for a while. My father was a, an agent and a manager, and he did business affairs for the the cores and people like that. My brother was a photographer, and he primarily did music industry stuff. I mainly worked uh, multimedia in in the music industry, films, websites, and all that sort of stuff. And um, it, it wasn't a conscious thing. We, we just all kind of moved at the same time. Um, so my father is kind of involved now in, in financing in film. Um, my brother is writing a script with Jim Sheridan. And um, I've uh, directed a feature. So there's, kind of a, there's going to be, I think, a natural coming together of those three strands, hopefully. And it'll, hopefully it'll work or it's going to make for some very unpleasant Christmases. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> my mom will, you know. But, uh, you know, and so, I, yeah, I'm talking, me and my brother, he, um, he's also kind of got involved in the finance, the business side of it. So he, he's looking to produce something with me as well. That's so. a good, those, you complement each other well then in terms of, different aspects. Yes, hopefully. Hopefully we will. In theory, yes. In theory, a theoretical family were were perfect. I don't know about um, practice, whether it'll work, but I'm sure it will. Sorry, going back to the course. Um, (laughs) uh, How many were in the course? There was, uh, was it 2018? It felt like 18. I think it was was 18. It was was around the 20 mark anyway. Uh, but that number dropped oh, during the year. A couple of people kind of dropped out for personal reasons. So we ended up making the feature with around 14 or 15 from the class. I think so. And um, a few outside people were brought in as well. Yeah. What was the criteria for getting in? Because we would have been, I suppose, classified as mature students at the time. I think for for younger people, I'd prob- it probably would have been coming out of college with a degree or, okay. or whatever. Or it's a degree or equivalent experience, and I didn't have a degree, so it was actually one of these things that kind of sat on my shoulder for years that I never actually got a degree, 
but I was I was working the TV industry in mm-hmm. post production, but I, that's not where I wanted to be as well. I wanted to be in the film world, okay. and I didn't feel like I was in the film world. So I suppose my experience is what got me in. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. I have to ask as well. If there's a class of eighteen, I'd imagine, and as both of you have said, you want to be you know get the credit of doing a feature film because it'll obviously help you do extremely well within the industry. It gives you that step up. How many people wanted to direct? About eleven. Maybe yeah, it was a lot. It was most of yeah. the people. Yeah, so class. everybody went yeah. in with the idea of yeah. they wanted to direct yeah. the film. You know, except for about four, three or four who would have been going for a DOP. And how did how did it come to you know the stage where it was like right, we're going to have three directors? It was always going to be three directors. Well, it was more or less, or it was like ninety percent certain it was going to be three directors. Um, that was we were. I was told that in the initial interview I did. I was told it might change, but it, it didn't change in the end. And I mean, the, the following year with that the Light of Day and Poison Pen, that was three directors in each film as well. It'll probably stay like that. Um, so obviously the idea, the idea being that like the more students get to direct as possible, but any more than three directors, and it's just it's it's. I mean, three directors is complicated enough to try and get one. One narrative director, one director yeah. is complicated enough. You know. So, so, yeah, it was, it was, it was tough competition, but um, yeah, yeah, they, they, they were obviously keeping an eye on everybody from the start, and I, I think at a, some point, I think in around was it October or November, we went down to the factory for a week, and we worked with all the actors down in the factory, and I think that's probably where they started watching us and seeing who was, you know, working well with the actors and who was doing stuff there. Then what we had to do. Um, uh, we we had to we had to make um, uh, we had we had to film a scene from a, a film that had already existed a film called Savage. We were all given scenes and we picked the scene we wanted to do, and we had to recreate the scene. So to a certain extent, uh, that's the an Irish film, isn't it? It is, yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then as because a, a script was being developed simultaneously by um, Conor Horgan, who made um, One Hundred Mornings, um, he was writing the script for us, and we knew he'd be writing the script for the class. Uh, and so once that script was far enough along they picked scenes from that and anybody who wanted to direct had a choice of scenes from the film which, which would ultimately be how to be happy we you had to assemble your crew make it quickly um, and then you had to pitch it uh, to everybody and what your also your, then your vision of what you were going to do and I think by that stage there was nine of us left standing and um, then Alan Connor James Fair uh, went off and made their decision you know so that, that, that's how that's how it all worked out. That's how they that's how they did it. And was that your first time directing actors? For me, yeah. 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 And how was that process? If in the initial, just recreating the scene. Well, I, 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 it was fantastic. I I loved it from the outset. From the start, like I I must admit, it was actually once we went down to the factory. That's that's the that's the day that like I went. Yeah, I I I, I want to do this. And I'm ready to do this. This okay. is. Like I don't care if I'm bad. <laughs> this is so much fun. <laughs> like we're making up a whole load of stuff, and people are crying and wailing and weeping, and it was brilliant. It was just so much fun. I really, really enjoyed it, and and uh, it, it was it was great because a lot of the time, and I think you probably experienced this as well, writing and editing. You're working by yourself, and um, I find that particularly with the writing, it's very hard. And it was nice to collaborate with people and bang things and move things. So. It was in the factory that I'd first started to work with actors, and then so by the time the feature came around, like we'd been working quite a bit with people, you know, and like with rehearsals and bits and bobs. So. Yeah, well, I, I suppose I I, had, I was slightly mm. different to Mark in the sense I'd done a, a few shorts beforehand, so I, I had quite a bit of experience with actors. That was a mixture of actors who I'd auditioned and and using my friends, so it was a kind of different environment as well for me. But um, yeah, no, I, I felt quite at home with it, but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so then, the, the how did you happen upon that script, the How to Be Happy? Connor Horgan was writing that. Yeah. And then, how did you go about dividing up? The Who would direct? Um, initially, the story was going to be kind of divided into three narratives, mm-hmm. and that, because that's what Keystone City was done. That was the the film from the first year, and um, that was very three definite stories that just kind of were loosely linked. Um, and this was kind of going to be originally conceived as that, but as we as the first outline came, we were more 
as a class we were kind of really pushing towards just having the best story possible like we didn't really want it to be loose connections so we kind of steered Connor in that direction and he was more than happy to do that and it became the three main characters in it Floor, Al and uh, Cormac their stories just got more and more intertwined and it actually was just more like a normal feature film and then but that of course left us with the problem later on how do we divide it up so we kind of stuck with as it turned out, I got Flora's character. She was private detective. Um, Mark got Cormac. He was that's Brendan Gleeson, and he was a marriage counsellor. And Al was his cousin. And Michael directed uh, most of Al's scenes. But we kind of there was some scenes we we de- was definitely Flora's scenes. There was definitely Cormac scenes. But there was a lot of interweaving. So we kind of just figured it out amongst ourselves. Figured like. I, some, like I'd go I, I wanted to do that scene then maybe if Mark said he wanted to do that scene we'd figure out why who would be the best person to do it and we just delegate it and watching the film I mean there's no sense that like it it comes together as a whole it, feel, it feels yeah. it feels like the it's one a, thing yeah, well I don't think it feels like there's three different directors no. yeah. each person's got their own stamp on it it doesn't come across like that it actually comes across quite cohesive altogether it, thanks very much it, it I, th- I, think the, I think the reason for that is and it was a decision that um, me Mark and Michael made at the beginning that we should have just the one DOP on it because initially there was the idea of like each director would have almost a different crew mm-hmm. and we could each director would have a different crew and we'd rotate DOP but we kind of really felt that that would really impact how it would look. So oh, definitely, of course, like visually, you so, see, you'd see the difference. So that I think that was a big factor. And that was Richard Toomey, our DOP, and Zia was Focus Puller, and Emmett Kenny was our um, camera assistant. And the fact that the three of them stayed working like that throughout the whole shoot is what made that work. Yeah, really played off. Okay. And I think it was also, even going back even further, um, the class were very involved in the story. Like when the scripts, when the draft came through, we all got together and everybody worked through it. We all came up with ideas. We gave them back to Connor Horton. So everybody was involved the whole way through with the story as well. So everybody kind of knew what it was about, where it was going, yeah. what we thought we should do. And then, of course, the the, the ghost in the room is our missing colleague Mick, uh, Michael Costing. Um, me, uh, Brian, and Mick. Once we had, I think it was around the second draft of the script. Mm we went through this period of where we locked ourselves in a room effectively for nearly three weeks and just went through it over and over again, working it out, working it out. That might have been the first draft still. Was it the first draft? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so so by the end of that, in the terms of the three of us, we all kind of knew where each other was coming from. We all kind of knew what we were doing and that it was, like nobody was pulling in a completely different direction or if something like that did come up we discussed it and we understood it and we either didn't do it or we went okay yeah that's a good idea so in a way, nothing came out of the blue in a way yeah. a lot of the directing happened in that room before we shot it yeah. and that that kind of ironed out even us fighting over scenes we were we didn't fight over scenes but at that stage we were so tired of the film from going through the script <laughs> painstakingly that we knew where every camera camera angle was going to be we knew how, every, how whether there should be camera moves, whether it should be handheld. We knew exactly what every scene was going to be like, no matter who was going to direct it. So the, the choice of who was directing what came after, we already decided on the directing style. For that the, scene. The, yeah, that, that, that's one thing we did. We, we worked, the three of us, right up to... Mm. Well, actually, right the way through, really. But like up to the point, like I think it was about two days before we started shooting, maybe, mm. maybe three or four, yeah. uh, that it hadn't been decided who was going to do what. Yeah. It hadn't been laid down, so we were all working on the entire thing the entire way through, rather than breaking off and going, "Well, I'm going to go away. I've got to do my thing," you yeah. know. So, yeah. you know. So, and there were there were times when we were on the, during the shoot just because things happen when you're filming, and we did actually have to swap, and you'd never notice because we were we were all so prepared for each other's scenes, so it was pretty seamless. Can I ask as well? Was was that the course's idea, or was that your own idea? I mean, that's some, it seems like something that the course would be like. Right, guys, you need to iron this out beforehand, so that it doesn't get to a yeah. stage where you walk them off and do your own individual thing. <laughs> or was it yourselves going right? Let's lock ourselves in a room for three weeks. No, that's just that was they. It was their decision. It was the course's decision that it'd be three characters, three directors. So the three lead characters, each. As Brian said, I, I was uh, Cormac, played by Brian Gleeson. Um, Brian had Gemelia Devereaux's floor and Stephen Mullen played Al for Mick. But 
they were very good. They at that kind of once we got to that point where we got into pre-production, we kind of they didn't come in on us. Like we we, we no. were on our own the whole thing. The whole thing like that that that's the thing. Like that this this film because like, was made by that class. You know there was no mentoring through it there was nobody else on the set telling people what to do there were a few outside people to fill in for where we had um, skill deficits where we didn't actually have somebody to do that job and it was particularly important so there were some people there for that but other than that it was entirely the class there was no outside interference they, they were very very brave mm. they really were and they didn't I think there was a, there were a few hairy moments at the start I think Alan would come down and Kind of stares going, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? We'd stare back. Though. We'd stare back. We'd going. stare back. <laughs> but it, but like, I, I think no I would fear. Fear. <laughs> Don't blink, guys. Don't blink. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, but both him and Connor were fantastic. Uh, Connor yeah. Murphy, who who also runs the, uh, the the course, they 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 led us to it. You know, and I think that was important because um, I don't think there's any point in having your hand held through that. You have to. You have to go through it because it's brilliant. You know, it's a great experience. What did you know at the end of that process that you didn't know at the beginning, in terms of? I, 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 for me, because I, I think that my whole issue before the course was I knew how to make films, I knew how to shoot them, I knew how to edit them, I knew how to direct actors. Not perfectly. I mean, I learned lots doing the film, but um, I still I, I co-directed with another guy called Paul Bush. Um, but we were very much doing it on our own, and we didn't feel like we were in the film world. We were in this kind of TV post-production land, and that, that's where we were professionally. We weren't really considered in the film world. And what I, we learned from that was, and even Paul, who wasn't involved in the making of, the fil- of How To Be Happy, but he saw me doing it, and it was just working with a big crew, and this idea that you need a team of people. It's an, you need a little army like to, to make a film. And um, it was kind of learning to respect that teamwork um, rather than trying to do it on your own, you can't do it on your own. Okay. Um, very few people can do it on their own. Okay. And that was, I mean, because it was a lovely, happy atmosphere to be in. You know, everybody really seemed to be enjoying the mayhem. In the way. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was actually great. <laughs> no, may- mayhem it really is the was. wrong word. Yeah. But you, I mean, it was a, it was a time. Yeah. We didn't have much time to no. make this. No, we were under a huge time constraint, particularly yeah. um, uh, with Brian Gleeson. We only had him for, I think. Two, two weeks, weeks yeah. two weeks of the three weeks that we were, was in in principal <clears throat> photography, and I think he was in about eighty percent of the script. So that uh, was really, really hard. You know, it was really long days and yeah. glazed eyes at times, and was it fraught helpful? nerves. But everybody, everybody was. But I think as as you were saying, that because everybody was getting on so well and everything well, I, worked actually, so well. I just have to ask as well from seeing it as well. I mean, for uh, a feature film from you know from the MSc course as well. You done, I think you've done extremely well getting such a good cast. Because I was looking at it going, how did they get Carrie Crowley? How did they get like Green Gleeson's? You know, it's just like... Well, I think that, that, that we have to tip our hat to our, one of our producers, Richard Bulger, and that's a story where uh, I, he uh, pretty much um, accosted Breen in a chip shop one night when he was locked, I think, and they got chatting, and I think that's how that connection was made. Um, <laughs> so it's like <laughs> so I mean you have to as, like when opportunities like that present themselves why not like so I don't know I don't know the time frame when that happened but I think it happened in a chip shop and he got talking to him but that might have been before the film was actually happening or I don't know but anyway yeah but like that's how that's how Breen came on board um, other people we did a lot a lot of auditioning um, and some people were just really obvious as soon as they started reading Actually, me and um, me and Rich, we went to see a film called Earthbound. We uh, to actually see Carrie Crowley in it. We went down. It was um, I can't remember. I can't remember where it was playing, what it was. But we we went down and we had we were having a look at it, and she was there. Actually, I didn't realize that remember that the whole their whole directors, all the actors. So Carrie Crowley was there. So we literally chased her down a corridor afterwards, <laughs> and door stopped her and asked her to do it, and she was fantastic. She met us. She went to her cup of coffee with us, and uh, yeah, she was really enthused she was brilliant well, you know so and had you and kind of this is general but specifically about how to be happy as well um, when you're developing characters and then when you're casting have you got a very specific look a very specific or, or when actors come into you is I, I would say we in, when reading the script 
I, I, I always make kind of this kind of visual connection with a character when I'm reading them but it's very rarely what ends up on the screen so I would say it changed quite a lot and that's not a bad thing it's just your initial reading of something is one thing that's you getting your head around the story and then you as a, as a director as a, as a, or as an actor that develops that character develops it comes alive in a different kind of way so I'd say yeah, it was completely different in my mind beforehand but then you realise what works and what doesn't and like we did have uh, people who would have come in, and I think initially when they sat down, we would have thought that uh, they wouldn't be suitable, you know. But through the course of their audition, they would have blown you away, mm-hmm. and you would have sat there going, "Okay, we've got to make this work somehow. Yeah. We've got to change something, or else maybe these, this person would be much better as another character that yeah. we hadn't told them for, you know." So I think there was a lot came out of the auditioning. I think I think I, I also because the auditioning went on for quite a while, and it, it was very intense. Um, it was, like a, it, was it was it was during that really intense period when yeah. we were going through the script. So we were in every day at like well, these guys were in a little bit earlier than me because I hate early mornings. But like eight, <laughs> eight o'clock in the morning till till six o'clock or seven o'clock or eight o'clock at night, just going through every single page meticulously. And then suddenly Richie's like, "You're auditioning someone now." We're like, "Okay, we have to drop everything." And so there was actually yeah. that was weird. Well, it was one of the tough things about it because we had to keep dropping everything to go and audition people. Yeah, yeah. So it was this real crazy back and forth all the time but um, but I think that, that that auditioning as well getting to pe- seeing people read and perform and do bring actually bring the thing to life yeah. um, I think that was actually really useful for us as well because it, it might have been a very long and, and a very tough process at times but it really again it was a, another point where you're on like our understanding of what we were going to have to make is reinforced and like, mm. I think that, that's one of the, the, the real roles of the director do you really have to know project inside out you think you're that's your job really yeah. you're, you're, yeah, the, you're yeah. the person who knows it better than everybody and actually sitting through the auditions actually brought more to life because we didn't have as much time we didn't we had next to no time for rehearsals so to a certain extent this was the rehearsal or the the auditions were, were our first feel for how this was going to be read and said and play out and yeah there was actually very little time for rehearsal it's kind of it's kind of that's a testament to the actors all the actors involved that like mm-hmm. they had so little prep time and then you know, as as a film evolves, uh, people, we, all of us were tweaking the script just to make things work. Cause, oh, we shot that a different way the day before, so we need to change something. Um, I was quite notorious for writing extra dialogue and stuff, so I was always challenging them. But um, they, 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 they just sucked it up and made it good. So with the luxury of more time in hindsight, is there anything you would have done differently? I... I I think yes, a lot. Of yeah, there always is. You know, there always yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. Um, More rehearsal. Yes, it, it would. It would have been nice to because we only had the cast together once prior to that for a table read, which went very well. <coughs> um, but which is funny because I, I think I kind of noticed like I, I, the table read kind of lulled me into a false sense of security because it read well, but something reading well is not the same as it appearing well, yeah. and it because like. It, it would have made at that point. It would have been a fantastic radio play. It obviously worked really yeah. well, you know. And uh, but actually, then seeing it's a different thing. So it's not like a rehearsal having a table read. There's no action. There's no physicality. There's no. There's no real sense of reality. Do you know about what's it. something weird about table reads? Because during a table read, um, someone was reading the direction on the script, and there's a difference between reading the direction and you might so people might laugh at something in the direction but then when it's actually played out yeah. the subtlety can often be lost um, so the obviousness of what it is on on the script is completely lost in, in a shot so that's a, that, that's another that's another challenge where you really have to look out for yeah. the subtleties of things when you're actually doing the scene yeah could, you could yeah you have to make sure stuff that yeah. you have to make sure it is there that it can and be I, seen and translates and I think particularly with comedy I actually think this is my maybe actors will hate me for saying this but I think comedy is such a it's such a tight format if you if there's something wrong in the delivery of a, com- of a comedic line it can lose it um, it's not like a, a drama scene where you can allow an actor to really just evolve the, the character and the scene and mm-hmm. how they say it and let them do what they want to do um, with a punchline if the punchline isn't the right timing or the right uh, just exactly it has to be it has to be exactly right it's, it's very little or else you're dealing with like someone like 
the likes of Will Ferrell, who's just this wild energy. But that's a different type of comedy as well. So mm. it's just a very unique thing, comedy. Um, but I think everyone really nailed everything in the script mm. really well. It comes across great. Yeah, yeah no, I know we haven't said it, but congratulations yeah, on the film. It's, yeah. Thanks, thank you. It's really, really good. Because it is, and it's probably the hardest romantic comedy is almost probably the hardest medium. To mm. do. I think. I think. What I mean, I as we already said, I directed uh, Jiminique Devereaux's character, uh, Flores, who was a private detective, and that's actually part of the story. Like I, in my pitch, I said I wanted that character. I liked the whole private detective part of it. I liked that kind of. It was a little bit kind of. It wasn't a thriller, but it was a little bit kind of spyish, and there was something nice about that. And that's what kind of fed into me about it. Um, I totally forgot what the question was, but somehow I got here. But that's the thing because I, I. Oh, did, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I did a lot of scenes, the scenes um, with uh, Breen and Gemily, particularly yeah. in the, particularly in the client in this in this counselling office. Um, so one of the things I was like that I really had to work on and that they were fantastic. They had this natural chemistry and I think that's the thing you're talking about in the romantic comedy. If that chemistry isn't there, if you don't feel there's some sort of spark of warmth between these two people, yeah. you know, um, that's when it really doesn't work. And it does work there. They, they, they can be quite charming to each mm. other and they're lovely to each other. And that's them. That's the, that was a lovely natural chemistry between the pair of them, you know. So. Yeah. Can you take us through the funding? We probably wouldn't be the best to we make would, it through no, the funding, so the if we make a mistake... Well, uh, do, you, do, you, do, you, do you know how much of a budget you had? Uh, actually, you, I, I actually don't know the final, final budget. Um, we raised, on, on Funded.ie, we raised 11... Te- just plug there, I just did that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we better get a discount next time. Yeah. <laughs> um, we raised 11,000 on Funded.ie, um, which was great. That was the bulk of the production budget anyway I think I think the production budget might have touched up around but by the time we'd done all the we had to do some we did about another week of pickups and just scenes that we added in that would knit things together better and little bits and pieces I think by the end of it I think it was probably touching about 22,000 but that's including um, the camera package which uh, uh, which we didn't pay for that mm. came that came through film based the camera package so that was worth quite a bit of money yeah. so I think it was the whole thing was made for about 22 <coughs> uh, I, I couldn't really tell you about the post how much that cost and there's a lovely yeah. sense of place and yeah. location as well I mean you use Dublin so well too yeah I think that has a big credit to Mark on that that was part of Mark's pitch yeah I, I, I wanted to use George in Dublin mm-hmm. um, because I, I kind of felt it is so nice and I knew we could get beautiful sets and beautiful rooms and um so much of when you, you make a modern film in Dublin it's played out in little mm. apartments and dingy bars and places that don't look nice and don't feel nice and there was no need for that in this film it's a romantic comedy so it, we the Georgian going for all the Georgian buildings and using all those areas and trying to keep all that and going up to places like the Botanic Gardens and using that as well because these are things that only seem to ever get used in um, in, uh, in period drama yeah. so like why not take advantage of them yeah. for this because yeah. they're, well, they're, they're beautiful they're and they're Dublin the, um, you know the intermediate room, sorry, where um, Brendan, sorry, where Breen um, does his counselling. Mm. Uh, where was it? Like that, that Marion Square. Is great. Yeah, it's Marion great. Square. Yeah. It's uh, it sounds wonderful. You know that these rooms are fantastic. They're beautiful. Um, they're huge, so you can get a camera crew in. Uh, but their floors are made of paper, <laughs> so there was people working in the building. Really so, loud paper. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that God love them. They were fantastic to us, but uh, like they literally couldn't move, or we would hear it. Um, so things got a little tense, um, but they were wonderful. Yeah. But the other thing is the huge windows. We we didn't have a budget that we could have like. controlled the light properly. So light did become a bit of an issue coming through the huge windows. Um, but, uh, yeah, but they're, they're just fantastic locations. They're lovely to work in. But they, they really do come with considerable considerable drawbacks. And it's, it's easy now to sit and smile and laugh, but, but the, you're, you have such a tight mm. schedule and you're just losing time all the time because you're waiting for sound to stop or a plane to pass or, you know, or the light. for the, You're just looking out the window for this one cloud, the only cloud in the sky, just to move, please, so the light can go back to the way it was, you know. So. And that's what, and that's the killer. It's time is the killer, yeah. you know. You know, so you're just losing it and losing it and losing it. And all those factories that are right because you can't, you can't control the clouds. No. But you think it would be, you know, you get big lights like we had the budget, big lights blasting through windows, <laughs> yeah. you know. So, um, but, uh, but and I think 
I think though particularly in Irish films because we're all like it's such a small city we're so familiar with it that there is that other added element of oh I know where that is oh that's yeah. the botanic garden yeah. there, there, it adds another mm. kind of level of interest to the yeah. whole thing too I think and, and I think for me I, and this is I actually think that Dublin I think we're kind of saying this anyway I don't Dublin hasn't or Ireland has like often isn't represent well the countryside is often represented really well, and Dublin doesn't get represented that that well. So for me, it was I was totally on board with Mark's idea for that, and I I like the idea of people kind of recognizing somewhere but not really knowing it because if it's really if it's really in your face, I mean, it's just people. It's too familiar. Mm-hmm. It's, it can become I to say like Fair City, but people go well. Oh, I could see that on Fair City and. Mm-hmm. If you're making a feature film, you don't want them stand, people standing beside the spire. Well, not that fair city would shoot around the spire, but you just want to take it out from. Like I walk through Dublin every single day. I walk through O'Connell Street every single day. I don't need to see that in a film. Is kind of what I'm saying. I want to see somewhere that I don't see every day. Somewhere cool. Somewhere I kind of recognise that. Not I, quite. On the it's, 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 yeah, it's, yeah, nice, yeah. it's nice to have a small familiarity with something, but also kind of go. That's kind of cool. I'm seeing something different. Is basically yeah. what you want to do when you make a film. Some of the locations have caught on, like that we shot in the Botanic Gardens, and uh, I've since since I hadn't seen it being used much before, but I've seen it in at least three things recently, and one of them was Penny Dreadful, that the big US series, and it looked it actually didn't look any different to yeah. we, like they didn't really dress it that different. It's yeah. just people were in period clothes. Yeah. It was just a really cool location, and all they needed to do was. Have Josh Hart walking around? Was it? I'm not sure. If he's yeah, in that yeah, scene. Josh Hart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm just not sure if he, if he's in that scene. It might have been the Dorian Gray character, but just they were there in their period clothes, and it looked great. It looked the same. Yeah, yeah, and it would be nice to have more time up there as well. Here I go. Another yeah. time. we shot up there in one day, and it was actually very. What we had to shoot was actually very complicated. It doesn't seem it, but it, just the timings of it was very complicated. It was very hard to work out in one day, and me and Mick had actually gone up the day before. Uh, to try and work through it, um, it would be lovely to have another day there, just maybe with with the camera team, mm. um, and uh, just a, a few of the actors just to move through, bring a jib up, and you would have had all. Like, it was just just because there's so much of the architecture in that place is gorgeous, and they have would have been great. They had a gangway up on one part, and it would have been lovely to get up there. Any dreadful got up there? They, they got on the gangway. <laughs> that. Damn it. How dare they? I think they had a slightly bigger budget than we did. <laughs> just slightly. Yeah. Just slightly. Yeah. In any sense, though, did the time constraint help? And then maybe not in terms of like. No. (laughs) No, it didn't. It never helps. (laughs) But in terms of like, you have to make a choice and you have to make a decision and you just have to go for it and you have to go. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it helped, but yeah, that that happens and you just got to go for it. I, I think the choice. I think a lot of the choices were the best choices under the circumstances, yeah. and that's a choice. That's they weren't just choices that me yeah. and Mark and Mike were making. They were choices the the whole production team were making. The ads were making. The sound people, the uh, product like the art department. Everyone had to make the best choices possible in a short amount of time. So I mean, the time doesn't help, but yeah, no, it doesn't. I because I, I, I think those decisions are forced and. What you then lose sometimes is you don't have time for subtlety. You don't have time yeah, to get right. little bits and pieces to add in. Um, there's like there's as the production once it starts like the, lots of work was done in pre-production, you know, a very small small amount of pre-production. Mm-hmm. But once the production started and we started shooting, there was definitely stuff in week three that kind of got forgotten forgotten about until the day before, <laughs> <laughs> including locations. <laughs> So there's a couple of locations in the film where we're like, oh, look at that place. That's not meant to be there. (laughs) It really does not make any sense in that location. (laughs) But uh, other people won't notice it, although maybe they go, that's a weird scene. (laughs) Oh, I know, you're giving me alone. It wasn't wasn't your fault. (laughs) I wasn't giving out to you. (laughs) It works. For you then, Mark, similarly to what we asked Brian, what did you what did you take from the whole process? What, what did you? I I took a massive amount. Um, it's it's I kind of I I I, I learn by doing, okay. and I I don't think I can learn any other way. Um, so I learned, like, and I don't mean this in it. Like, I mean for myself, I learned how I wouldn't do it again. Okay. You know, and I think that's a massively valuable lesson. Um, how certain, wouldn't you do it? I would certainly, I would, I, 
really want much more pre-production. I would want to go in a lot more prepared. And the next stuff we're working on now, a lot, I'm going to really want to front load pre-production. Cause, and it's, it's, it's not because we weren't prepared going in. But if that, you have that front loading done, it gives you the time. It, it's strange. Filmmaking becomes this massive thing, a tedious thing about logistics. But the logistics is the magical thing that gives you the time on set. And you shouldn't. It's, it, it's so expensive to be on set and there's so much relying and there's so many people there. Particularly in our situation where so many people are there for next to nothing or nothing. And they're doing it for you. That you really, really want to be able to give them all the time and not be worrying about, um, okay, where are we going to put this shot? I thought this room was going to be bigger, you know, because I've only seen it an hour ago, you know, and little things like that, you know, that really front loading pre production. Um, you'll hate to say this, but I certainly wanted to spend more time on a script, even though we spent so much time on a script. Um, yeah. And not because the script needed The script was fantastic. Connor Horgan did a brilliant job and he did it really quickly as well. Um, oh, there's just, there's just, just so much. Like, there's, there's handling actors, handling people, handling... Because a, a lot of it does come down... And handling's a horrible word. Like it's, no, but it is, it is. You are handling a lot of different things and a lot of different people. Um, and I also, actually, one of the things that's really become apparent to me, and it's, it's not a very artistic thing to say, but the business side of it how you handle the business side of it, when you handle the business side of it, where you handle the business side. I've learned an awful lot, particularly over the last year, because uh, we've been... In the, pro- in the since that, since yeah, we made it. Yes, yeah. yeah. You know, um, how, how would I do it? How would we approach it? How, you know, so with an awful lot of lessons being learned there. And they're the lessons that really have do to be learned. It's, like, it's weird, because it's, I think it's a lot of Irish filmmakers suffer from, from this. And I mean, there's a great, there's a great kind of revolution of like low budget Irish filmmakers making features for nothing. But I think a lot of them are kind of, and we haven't learned it yet, mm. but a lot of the people are, haven't really figured, they've got this great romantic idea about making a film and they don't really know what to do with the film afterwards. Mm. And I think that's something that's not taught in colleges. Uh, it's not taught anywhere. There's no real life lessons for that. Mm. It's a tough, that's, that was a big learning curve. And I think the thing is, you actually have to, it's not, you have to know what you're going to do with it beforehand, yeah. not after. Now, th- th- I think in, in, that, that this isn't a failing in any part because that that wasn't what this was about no, no, for no, no, for no. for the course. The course was about making a film, but in, the, in terms of the lessons we've learned since, because yeah. like it's it's you know it's it's an entertaining I mean, film. It should, okay. Selling it should be. Oh, yeah, okay. and Can I ask actually from when House We Happy finished and it aired, sorry, and premiered, where has it gone? What, what what are you doing with it? Just just, so, oh, just from from that business point of view, I just like to know that. I know it's done the festival circuit, yeah. and it's done quite well. It's yeah. just how did it get onto the festival circuit? How did it, how did it, uh, well, just, go, it, just going on back and yeah. what you say is that you make the film, but you don't know what to do with it then. Yeah, I mean the first, it. I mean the, fir- the the premiere, the first premiere was um, we were absolutely ecstatic over this. We had two sellout premieres in Galway. Um, the first one sold out, and due to popular demand, a second one was put on, and that sold out. So that was a gr- really great start. Um, from there, it's it played in Cork, um, and it's played in a couple of festivals in the US, and it won Best International Narrative Feature in Garden State um, yeah. Festival, which we were delighted about. Fortunately, none of us were there, but uh, no, yeah. <laughs> we didn't hey, get an award. I got a text in a pub going, "You just won an award!" Yeah, drinks are on you. It was what was the other one? It was in Chicago. It was in Chicago, Chicago. as well, and. Richie, the producer, and Breen and Gemma Leo went over for that, and I think it was in the middle of a blizzard, which probably didn't help ticket sales. <laughs> um, but I think they had a great time over there anyway. Um, and it's got a, it's got a few it's, more. It's, it's up. got a good. F- it's got a. F- there's a lot going on for ones in America, but we don't know about yet. Um, there's a couple potentially in England and uh, maybe further afield. Canada. Yes, possibly. Yeah, you know, this is this is this is it's because it's funny because I don't think none of us really knew like how to approach festivals with yeah. with a feature, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's that, that. But like, effectively, we should have been probably doing that beforehand. We should have been laying the groundwork beforehand. Yeah. And I don't think we didn't know that. It's become so it's, it's, it's come one of the, become one of these things that like with the. Uh, "Quote unquote," the revolution of film. Uh, the, sorry, the, the, the democratization <laughs> of filmmaking with all these uh, cheap, inexpensive cameras. Um, at first, that affected the short films in festivals, where suddenly festivals were getting tons and tons of short films, and that's actually now happened to feature films, where 
loads of people are making feature films and festivals can't actually screen them all it's like where I, I think I think probably if you went back 10 years ago if you made a feature film you'd definitely be able to get it into yeah no matter festivals. what yeah, yeah it's yeah, just yeah. like someone made a feature film that's huge yeah. but now it's suddenly like okay that's actually a lot cheaper to do now it doesn't mean we're suddenly getting lots of great films we're getting lots of films from all all levels but uh it's just there's a much, it's much harder to get people to actually sit down and watch a film now mm. because there's so many of them out there. It's a, the, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Like, it's like you've got to be laying that groundwork all so the time, you, and you've got to be you've got to be thinking of beforehand. <coughs> I think you certainly have to have business people, sales agents involved beforehand who are going to understand this. You know, we're going to I, I, ultimately you want to know how to do it, yeah. but but you need those people I think in place beforehand and. Not for what we were doing before, what we want to do in the future, like in terms of things like getting pre-sales money, all of that sort of stuff, yeah. you know? I, th- I think, I think, I mean, myself and Mark are working on a couple of things at the moment together, and I'm working on a couple of things with my other partner in crime, Paul Bush, and I think in both groups, I'm not going to go into anything where there's, I, like, commercials is apparently a dirty word in the creative industry, but... I, I, you have to think ahead it has to make money it has to be an actual career there's no point in, in, in like it's it's supposed to be an industry film industry and industries make money and that's the bottom line you have to you have to, you, you have to have a plan going forward um, or else it, it actually becomes not an industry and it's just a really expensive hobby and it's an odd thing you know and it happens in every like theatre and music commercial does become a dirty word and yet commercial just means that a lot of people like yeah, it yeah and a lot of people see it your, yeah, and like that's what you want to do yeah. like, yeah. I don't, like I think I don't think Definitely not in it for the money. I mean, not in for but you but you, but you, you want people to, to see it. Yeah, but it's not just that. So much time you want goes into it, it you know, as well. So you, I mean, if you want to be good at something, you have to dedicate your life to it. Mm-hmm. So you need to have a living out of that. So having just making films that are just good, and it's fantastic to get films and festivals, but you're not going to get paid out of that. So you do have to think. This is what we're learning now. You do have to think ahead and go. We need to make this work. It needs to be. Mm. Needs to work. Yeah, need to be able to for for a start. You need to be able to pay your crew and your actors, which in, doesn't happen a lot. I mean, I haven't been able to do that yet. I want to be able to do that. Um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a big massive. So machine. when you're when you're now because you were in Galway at the pitching for mm. investment, uh, what what makes a good pitch? What do investors respond to in a pitch? It's very hard to tell. I'm yeah. I'm personally terrible at pitching. I, I know you're not. I, I, no, we pitched yeah. together. He's actually he's, he's, he's terrifying me going into these pitches. Going, I'm terrible. <laughs> he was great. Great. Some yeah. actually, sometimes it's a it's a weird. Some it's sometimes you get a vibe off someone you're talking to, mm-hmm. and it's easy to pitch to them if you f- it's like about being comfortable as well. Mm. And sometimes you'll just start off with the right sentence about the story, and then you can get get a flow for it. And then if you're not comfortable, you'll say the wrong sentence, and you you just sink it. Um, I've got a big thing about because I, I know I'm I'm not gonna be good at pitching all the time. I I've got a big belief in making a promo of some sort where you can go, This is what I this is what I what I want to this is what I want to make and this is how I can make it mm-hmm. and this I think that's ha- happening a lot, people are making promos, so people can go whether it's a scene or they make a fake trailer or whatever, and people go, Okay, I get what you're talking about in an instant. Mm-hmm. Like in two minutes without even them saying the word. Uh they can get it so I'm a big believer in making a promo okay. yeah. you, you have to convince them you have to sell yourself um, it's, it's actually it's, it's pitching is for directors what auditions is to actors life. you know and it's that same process where like no matter what's happening you just have to keep going and pushing and pushing um, it's a weird thing though it, it is like that but it's also different where an actor going into an audition there is a role in a yeah. production yeah waiting. that's true but a director yeah. pitching an idea, there isn't yeah. something then, necessarily waiting. Yeah. Yeah. And in a way, when an actor goes into an audition, there it's a chance for them to do their work. Yeah. But you, as directors pitching, it's another. You're not directing. Yeah. It, there is another level demanded of you, another area of expertise demanded of you that doesn't may not come naturally to you, but doesn't detract from your ability yeah. as a director. I, I kind of I kind of enjoy pitching. 
I, I've, I've always kind of enjoyed it. It's, it's kind it. of nuts. It's a really <laughs> strange thing to do. You go in and you launch into this story and you're trying to sell it and the guy's looking over your shoulder because he, he's already decided it's you not going to work. characters. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the thing is, and like, like um, we did it. You know we did. We, we had people we really needed to talk to and we knew at the start, like I won't say who, who they were, but they weren't in on that pitch. Mm-hmm. They were just not there. And um, we pulled them back in. Like it, we we were able to pull them back in, and it's it is a performance thing. It is because you have to convince them, you know. And if if you're going to get put off by somebody not wanting to listen to you, well, if you're put off that easy, they're never going to give yeah. you any money. And like, you know, I think mm. you know it was really I I, I enjoy it. I really enjoyed going this year. I really enjoyed going down and doing that. I do. Yeah. I do recommend, like, if if anyone's going anywhere to pitch anything, whether it's a private meeting or it's in a film festival market fair. I think doing it in twos helps if you've got a partner in crime, whether it's a, a co-director or you've got your producer there. But it's great to have be able to bounce off each other mm. and get enthusiastic together, rather than having someone on the other side of the table who's really cold, not interested, and you losing energy in because he's got no energy. Yeah. So it's good to have that energy between two people. And, and, and it's good to have a number of different things there yeah. as well. I notice it because I've done it before in the past for single projects and... Um, you know, most people are very nice. That has to be said. Some some people are horrendous. Yeah. But most people are very very nice, and they listen to you. And they give you your pitch time, and they'll give you feedback on what they think, and they'll be straight with you. Um, and would, that was good. But this year, we kind of between us in every pitch, we had about three. There was three projects in total. One of which I'm not involved with at all. It's Brian and and um, and Paul. Um, and having that, like we had a project. In development, uh, you had a project that was well past script stage and had a promo, and we were down there as well talking about how to be happy. So there was three projects, so there was plenty to talk about, and and it instilled confidence in the people you're talking. To. And that's what you have to do because if somebody isn't confident in you, they're not going to. Uh, yeah, you do need you, a, you do need do need a few projects because ultimately, like there were some people we pitched to, and they said, "I like the idea, but it's not really my thing," mm. and that was fine because you were able to move on to the next thing, and that's really important because you don't want to be pitching to someone. And they may not just be. It might be if they might be. They might be from a company that just does action movies, and you've got a romantic comedy. They're just not going to do it. Mm-hmm. So you need to be able to move on to something else, to or else you're going to have a really awkward twenty minutes. Yeah, because <laughs> it's a bit like speed dating in the markets. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's very, yeah. it's very odd. Is it a bit of a chicken and egg situation in that you have to have certain things in place to pitch? So you're kind of going to act. You're saying, if this happens, would you be involved, and can we put your name on this for a pitch, or? Is that? Yeah, it is. There, there is that element of building a house. Filmmaking is chicken and egg yeah. situation where, yeah, it's it's a weird one. It's there's so many things. But I think everybody. I think the thing is everybody understands that. Yeah. You know, and that that's the other side of it. Going to you know? your eyes open, knowing mm. that there's going to be so many variables and stuff, yeah. and that yeah, you have to commit. Yeah. To, to certain projects even if they don't actually come about or anything like that but yeah and yeah. there's such a long time period it is very time consuming that's that's another reason why we like everyone in the film industry needs to make it work they need to think of this as career and there need, needs to it needs longevity mm-hmm. or else you're just going to give up five years of your life maybe on one film and then it might it mightn't do anything so it's a yeah need, it needs to be a long term thing mm-hmm. I mean it's it's the same as if you're a professional artist you're not going to just do it for five years if you re- if you're serious about it. It's your it's your life. It's whatever. You have to be working on more than one thing. Yeah. You have to like you have to have a like a, I use an analogy. You're not going to be a painter who's just going to paint one picture. You know, yeah. for five years. Yeah. Well, unless you write, I don't know. Maybe there are. Yeah. Right. I don't imagine they have very much. Well, you didn't. You didn't, <laughs> success, you didn't, you didn't learn all that skill in painting just for one painting. Exactly. You know? you know. So you have to work on a number of projects simultaneously. And uh, um, and that's the funny thing because like you don't know where things are going to go and that's why you, funny because you can be talking to a person about one project and think that's the project you're going to be talking about and then all of a sudden they you, you mention something and they're interested actually in the other thing you, you have that you've no intention of showing them or talking to them about and things sort of move that way and it's 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 strange you know. You're very flexible. You do, yeah. Can I ask just individually yourself uh, what your influences are? In terms of film, I mean, like when you were when you were shooting, how to be happy. I mean, did you look at any particular filmmaker and you were like, "That's the kind of style I want for this," or did you go with your own thing yourself? And decide no, I think I think well, my contention on the romantic comedy thing was is um, they're not enormously stylistic. 
And maybe that actually played to our favour because there was no huge creative visual arguments. You knew it had to be a certain type of thing. You yeah. know? So you, you were working to a kind of... You knew the sort of ones that worked. You like uh, like we, Richard Curtis type films. You know you want that sort of nice chemistry. You want the humour. You want the, you know... Yeah, I mean, well, but it helps with a romantic comedy to have the humour. But yeah, yeah, yeah. People, people are feeling good coming out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. so um, but I, it, it would have been more a, an understanding of how that type of film should feel rather than because yeah. there's not there's not like this like there's nobody you could really. No. You know, I, I mean, I've, I've lots of influences mm. um, in all sorts of genres. It would be hard for me to pick one, but I do, and I hope to make films in different genres. Mm. Um, so I think I, um, because I'm really aware of what, or I think I'm really aware of what, what, what works in certain genres, I, I'd, I'd feel comfortable dipping in and out of any sort of style. Um, I'd, so I wouldn't say I have one particular, like the project I'm working on at the moment with Paul is an action film and I would be lying if I didn't say that Christopher Nolan wasn't an influence on that. Like it has to be big and bold. Kind of in the people's faces and massive um, and I don't see the point in looking at Notting Hill and going I like those camera setups I'm going to use them <laughs> in my action film so yeah it's it's about, it's about knowing what works for what genre is there any particular genres you're interested in? I, 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 again I may, be, I may be you know overshooting here or whatever but I, I can't imagine both of you are like yeah romantic comedy that's what I want to do <laughs> um, we're working on a, another comedy uh, with a guy called Gary Sheridan um, it, and it would have a romantic element to it you yeah. know but the, the, this is this is kind of this is the commercial thing again you know you coming back to that like if we want to try and give somebody to give us to make more money to make another film we kind of have to show that well actually we can work in that genre you know and yeah. we've made one you know so but um, I have been working on two chiller sort of horrors and a, a thriller as well at the moment and to tell you the truth that would be more the side I, I'd, I'd, I'd want to go if anybody told me my first film would be a romantic comedy I'd say really? you know, you know but, uh, okay. yeah. I'll take it you know I have a question like the, the the MSc course was digital filmmaking yeah have either of you shot on film no and I I was just going to say it I never will it's like it's, I don't know if you've seen this film side by side Kenna Reeves' documentary it's um, it's on the I don't know if it's on the death of film or the the the, the birth of digital it's, well it's, the, it's all of that um, and I mean you've got people like David Lynch saying he, he's done with film like it's it, it's just another technology at the end of the day and it's gotten so good at this stage like I don't know is it better is it like I saw Oblivion. I re, well, I rewatched it recently at home on on Blu-ray, and it's just stunning. Like, and that's that's just shot in red. I mean, it's not film. I think it's. I yeah. I think I think I think at this stage it's probably surpassed digital's actually surpassed film at this okay. stage. I really do. Um, now, that's why Christopher Nolan's shooting on IMAX because they're trying to keep film alive. But thirty-five, I don't think is 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 up there anymore. I'm sure there'll be other people, particularly cameramen, who dispute that. But it's just like a few years ago, it wasn't there, and that's why everyone was like, "No, film is much better." But it's just, it's caught up. Okay. I, think so, though, I think I think Christopher Nolan had, now has the budget to be able to shoot everything in IMAX. I mean, yeah, if, yeah. if he didn't have the the budget, I think he'd probably rethink things and go. Yeah, I reckon. Maybe, I reckon maybe. he's getting a little bit of a kickback from the IMAX people going. Oh, probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I also think the other thing is I'm, I'm not sure it's a big makes a big difference to an audience. Like it's a kind of a film thing and it's a discussion thing. But audience want to go and be entertained, and that's that's your primary goal is is, yeah. is to tell a story and to entertain and to be thought provoking if you can, not everybody can. I think you're better off being entertaining than trying yeah. to provoke thought and failing miserably. If you can entertain and provoke thought, that's that's the holy grail. But like it's a little bit of, of an old conversation. I think it actually started probably about ten or fifteen years ago with like films like Festin. That were shot on like DV cameras, mm. and that's where the conversation began. Where he had film cameraman going, "That looks shit." I mean, it was a great, great film, but that's where the conversation started. Like, hey, you can't shoot on DV or you can't shoot on digital because digital looks shit, mm-hmm. and it did look shit. It just doesn't look shit anymore. Okay. So that's, I, yeah, I, I'll never make a film on film. 
Unless Panavision go, here's lots of cameras and here's lots of film. And so, so Panavision or whoever, if you want to give me lots of film reels, sure. Can you describe your directing style with actors? No, that'd be giving the game away. <laughs> I think it, it probably feeds into things I've already said. Like if it was, if I was directing a comedy scene, I'm probably going to be a little bit more of a Nazi with how things need to be said. And I hate doing that because I hate telling an actor how to talk. I would normally never do that. But if it was a comedy, I'd be a little bit more... If, if I felt they weren't getting it. Like, and it's, it could be, they could get it, but they might, just not, they might have a subtlety off. And that's very rare that they wouldn't get it. Um, but if it's, a, if, it's, if it's a more drama scene or a tense scene, I'd, I'd let the characters find themselves and let them... I'd only, I'd only step in to give a little guide every now and then. But I'd, a lot of it comes out in the, the, the read-through and the rehearsal. So it's about casting, right? Yeah, casting is so important. And that's, that's one thing that, like, again, I learned with experience over the years of just um, not necessarily casting your mates who can't act. Mm. It's, a, it's about getting people who are really good at what they do and who are comfortable doing it. I think that's the, the funny thing is I think that's the thing, comfort. Yeah. You, that's what you have to do you have to create something where somebody can feel comfortable enough to do what they're doing because yeah. like a lot of times actors are standing in front of like 30-40 people who they haven't known they don't know they just walked in they're drinking coffee they're being ignored behind because people are doing their jobs and they have to do something and they have to do something in front of all of these people and if they don't feel comfortable particularly in in, in you being able, like, cause sometimes, like, you know, an actor won't know why you're trying to get them to do a thing because you're, you're you're shooting out of out of continuity, yeah. and you know, and you know, you, you you need a particular thing, and I think for me, I think if you have the time, the way to get it is 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 true trust and comfort, and allowing the person know that, like, okay, I know this will work. You have to trust me. Please trust me. It will work. And I think that's part of the problem with comedy. Mm. Sometimes, I think actors can be afraid to push it to that sort of because there is kind of even even when you're even when you're the straight guy there is a certain element like you wouldn't that has to go just a little bit beyond normality yeah. and, and what is Comedy normal needs to be a little bit more than normal because it isn't normal you're in, a, you're in an absolutely yeah. ridiculous situation that you would not normally accept in real life yeah. and to, to play your way through it you know this is and I, I agree with you because sometimes it, I think sometimes there's a fear in actors and to, to actually to, to, to do that thing that's slightly stupid yeah. you but know, even if so. it's com- like okay there's Say Will Ferrell, like the Will Ferrell crazy comedy, or again something like Notting Hill, mm-hmm. which is a romantic comedy, but it's set in the kind of real world. Still, in that, like an actor would have to push it. Mm. Like it isn't yeah. it, it as much as it might try to feel like the real world. It's not the real yes. world. But it's and credible within the context. Yeah, yeah, story. yeah. But I, yeah, you, it's it is a, it is probably more. I mean, an actor, an actor will always try and make the most natural performance possible. In comedy, it's kind of going against making it natural. Mm. You have to make it unnatural, yeah. seem natural, yeah. uh, so and ordinary. And you mentioned Strangers in Fiction, and I saw that about six years ago. Mm. But it had a brilliant soundtrack. How important is that element? Yeah, actually, who did, who did the score for you? The score is very good in How to Be Happy. Uh, yeah. Kevin, Kevin O'Brien. O'Brien. Kevin O'Brien did a fantastic Just worked job really well, in a yeah. really short amount of time. Um, from scratch. From scratch, completely from scratch. Yeah, I, I love that soundtrack. Um, when it's you're great. working and when you're kind of trying to pitch performances, are you thinking, you know what they say, that you have to leave room for the music? Is there any element of... In the scene? In your head? Yeah. Oh no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't no. think about that. Because um, you don't know what you're going to get as well. Because you might know what you're expecting or what you want, but sometimes you'll get something that's, that's brilliant and totally not what you expected. And you're going to, so you're not going to sort of go... Yeah, that's good. I can't. I had a song in mind. It's not going to work with that. <laughs> the, scene, the scene, the scene is the scene. Like I mean, yeah. the scene has to play as as best it should be, without it outside interference. Okay, now, if the scene is involves someone singing a song, mm-hmm. you have to obviously take that into okay. consideration. And the time that's something where you have to really work on timing and stuff like that. But um, like it should always, it should always add. Yeah, not ever but overtake. I, I, I find I kind of assimilate how to do all that kind of quite easy because of the editing mm. I kind of really don't think about it too much I just kind of that was something I wanted to ask you at the beginning like your background as an editor yeah is part of your brain always a little I bit would say it's the opposite of my 
I don't I actually feel I don't have to think about it okay. which it helps okay. massively I kind of just I feel very comfortable picking camera angles okay. I don't really I don't have to think about it too much um, I'll think about the actual framing mm -hmm. a lot more than I, I need to think about how everything's going to cut because I'm pretty happy with how things will cut um, but things like how music's going to fit in that's again that gets fixed in the edit um, yeah. just don't cut the camera too quick is at the end of a take or whatever and just make I mean coverage is so important to make everything work um, I think a lot of magic happens in an edit mm. um, and it's just about having getting as much as possible in a limited amount of time okay. how many shots do you like to do as many as possible. <laughs> yeah. is, is it the new Marion Cotard film? They, she said they they shot one scene a hundred times. Wow. I would I will never do that. Never do <laughs> I will much, never yeah. do that. That's I mean that's 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 kind of like it's very are you, are, you, are you gonna is it, what what was going on? Like you wonder how much even that footage would even be looked at yeah. when it comes to the edit because it's just too much. Do you I mean, know what the scene was or why they no, had to do that? No, no, but is that their style? That's not a style. There's something not style. I mean, it, that could be well, like it a... Could be, it could be a Kubrick-esque kind of... Yeah, exactly. ...where he's trying to push an actor to the limit yeah, or... And break them almost. thinking almost in a way. So but also to shatter them down, you know? I, I do think that's... I mean, Kubrick was a, a genius, but I think there is an element of, like, just you're just being cruel for cruel's yeah. sake. I think, like, the, an act, a good actor will get there anyway. And I would love to look at the takes... Um, from The Shining and see where she was at, what was that actress's name in The Shining Sally, you know I think Sally something yeah you know what I'm talking about yeah, I would yeah. love to see her the, her first like I'd love to see her take five and her last take and see what the difference was if you had to pick and it's probably the, the most horrible question yeah. to, to ask somebody but what is your favourite film now I know generally there's a list of about a hundred mm. when we come to talk about it to the people about this and I have my own I do have one in particular or three that is, that is my favourite but I mean for yourselves I, I don't know I get asked this question all the time I can never answer it um, I have no idea I, 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 I'll, I'll enjoy I'll enjoy I really I just really enjoy anything that entertains me it's good um, The Dark Knight will I, be in the top five anyway I kind of I, 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 I really love Brazil because I, I, I really like Terry Gilliam Terry Gilliam's yeah, yeah. yeah I like I just like it's just so out of the box no, yeah. It's just so far beyond. He's such a, he's fantastic. But God, I can't. I hate being asked. Like, I, you know, I'll, I'll brush up next time. I'll have it. <laughs> yeah. Best and worst advice you've ever received. Best and worst advice yeah. we've ever received. I think the worst is, is a harsh word, but I think I've been to, I've been told in the past that a director needs to just sit and look at the actors and not look at the monitor. Oh. And I don't agree with that because I think you have to look at both. Because what's on the monitor, like it's there's no point in just sitting right in front of the actor and just having mm. looking at it from a completely different angle to the camera because mm -hmm. the audience is going to see what the camera sees, and that's who you're doing it for. So I think you have to be aware of both when you're directing. Okay. Um, but that's something I've 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 heard numerous people say: just look at the actors, and I don't agree with that. You have to. You have to look at what you're making. <laughs> yeah, no, I just thought the same. I just thought that's yeah. grand in theatre. Yeah. Um, Things are different on screen. Mm. Definitely. Oh, subtleties, and if it's a close up on someone's face, mm. you might not see that. Actually, they did a great. If you're sitting fat back, far away from someone, like Fastman is a classic example of an actor who can really be really subtle in everything he does. But if you're sitting at the other end of a room, just watching him and someone else talk, you might not necessarily see what he's doing with his eyes but if you're looking at the monitor on his close-up you're like that's it okay. one take okay. yeah, done yeah, that, that, that is true because it is a bit of advice you get given a lot yeah. I think it's kind of okay to put your head in beside the camera on the wide yeah. you know, but you do need to step back and, and see what's happening yeah. you know, I think the best bit of advice I was actually given I was, I was fortunate enough to talk to Jim Sheridan before Made How To Be Happy and um, yeah, he, he was very good he was talking to me about it and I, I don't know whether Doubting my abilities or whatever, he kind of looked at me towards the end of it and went, Don't worry, it's not rocket science. <laughs> so, I think that's the best bit of advice <laughs> I was ever given. <laughs> um, and your proudest moment, each of you? 
God, I don't know. <laughs> I'd imagine it's yet to come, I'd, yet to come. I'd, I'd imagine Galway has to be up there. Two, two set of, um, two set of shows. You must have been pretty proud after that. Yeah, that was, that's, mm. that was pretty cool. Yeah. Galway was very cool. Um, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't try and pigeonhole my life into moments of like, oh, that's because if I start doing that, I like, I like, oh, it's all downhill from here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You compare it's, everything it's, to that. It's, it's still uphill. Okay. I, <laughs> I think I, it wouldn't be a moment, but I think it was the way the whole thing worked. I think we, because you hear a lot of horror stories, you know, about how going, but we had phenomenal people to work with. Like yeah. the rest of the class were absolutely brilliant. The actors were fantastic. And it was an absolute pleasure to do, yeah. you know, and the fact that it worked so well, like, I do, I do I think, it. um, not being well yeah a little, being a little bit cocky for our year I think our our year gels quite well mm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> I've worked really hard and we're still mm-hmm. we're still working with them and like yeah. all the time yeah. yeah so it's it's a that year was a real a Did big bond. a big team relationship that's okay. continued to work great Cool. Um, Thanks for coming, guys. Thank, thank you very, very much. much. Thank you so Cheers. much. Yeah, for giving up your Sunday morning. Hi, Grant. Grant. Grant.